Hey everyone, I'm your host and soul sister, Gretchen North. I'm a veteran health and wellness professional turned life coach. Sticky Situation is about getting unstuck so that we can get on living the lives we are meant to live. We'll share stories and advice, hear from experts, and even do some guest coaching to be reminded of living today with more awareness and inspiration, all in the spirit of creating a more fulfilling tomorrow. To get in touch, find me at gonorthcoaching.com. Let's get going. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to continue my conversation with Pahok John Reed. I was just so delighted to reconnect with him. And in this episode, we get into intimate details about my wedding ceremony, as well as more instruction on meditation. Enjoy. And uh, can you tell me a little about your officiating experience at that point? Well, it, it was interesting, and uh, in large part because uh, Ural's families were uh, uh, had very strong uh, Christian feelings, uh, and were I think a little disappointed at your choice to have a Buddhist uh, be the one who uh, officiated, and uh, working with uh, you and Rodney, uh, we shaped a, a ceremony that, uh, if you will, uh, it took. Uh, the best of what the families uh, would want to see and want to feel and want to know uh, and blended it with your all's idea of here's the kind of wedding we would like to have. And at least my take on it was that when I, uh, I can't remember it was your parents or his parents, but uh, I I remember the greeting before the wedding was uh, one that was um, let's say professional. It wasn't entirely cold, but it leaned in that direction. And uh, But you had already forewarned me of uh, their disappointment at your decision. After the wedding, um, uh, when I talked with them, uh, they were kind and loving and laughing, and they thought that uh, it was the kind of wedding that they had hoped for. And, uh, and so one of the things is it taught me that there are certain universals when it comes to how to certain ceremonies like weddings and those things that we wish for those around them. And so uh, all I did was, uh, I think made a difference was I uh, developed a blessing, uh, which I thought uh, I really developed it specifically uh, for you and Rodney. And I have since used it and with only minor change uh, changes over the years, but it was one that I thought that called to heart, um, uh, those things that we wish for a couple on their wedding day uh, without having to uh, delve into any particular religion. Yet, yet at least for me, uh, carried that air of spirituality that uh, uh, should be a part of, uh, of every wedding. And apparently it connected uh, uh, with the family uh, as much as it did with us. Oh, it was so beautiful, John. Yeah, do you mind sharing just a little about the the blessing? Uh, we talked about the sort of the, the energies, and I don't have it memorized, but uh, in fact, I may be able to just pull up your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I now have your wedding. Gosh, I love it. That's awesome. And 
I said from ancient times until today, many traditions have utilized the four directions of the elements as a way of invoking or recognizing the blessings we wish for a couple on their wedding day. And so then I offered uh, uh, the blessing in recognition of those uh, ancient traditions. And so uh, then it goes in this, the spring uh, uh, of their lives together, we call upon the winds of the east to carry this couple's dreams and aspirations to a fertile place just as the wind carries pollen or seed to begin a new life far from its place of origin. To protect them in the summer of their lives together, we call upon the winds of the south, the fire of their passion and creativity, to carry them to a place of spirit and energy that they may call upon as they grow together. To nourish them in their time of need, we call upon the winds of the west to carry the rains of healing emotion, to a place where its waters may flow unrestricted into the wisdom of their days together. To help the roots hold firmly to the earth of their being, we call upon the winds of the north to carry their destiny to a place of understanding patience and profound peace. And from the center of us all, we call upon the winds of spirit to carry their love to a place of balance within the heartbeat of the universe. And I think that reflects uh, what all of us think about a couple uh, uh, when they're getting married, even if we uh, have have never articulated it directly. I can't believe you were able to pull that up. And I'm <laughs> excited to be able to put this, you know, podcast together and to share it with Rodney and feel that blessing, you know, again, 20 years later is so cool. And I got to say, we've paved the path because my, we've, I've shared this before that my older brother was married in Mexico at a destination wedding. My sister was married by a universalist Unitarian. I was married by you and my little sister asked me to officiate her wedding. And so my poor father did not have uh, any of his children's weddings in the Catholic church. <laughs> But, you know, we loved all of the ceremonies, and I love that each of us um, did what felt appropriate. How many weddings had you done when I asked you to officiate our wedding? Well, you were the first one to ask. Someone scheduled one, uh, asked after you, but scheduled it before yours. So yours was the second wedding that I did. Yeah. And so, but I ran into you, you know, a couple months ago, which is, you know, roughly 20 years after you did that ceremony for us. You told me how many weddings you've done now? I don't know the exact number. I know it's over 80. It's probably close to not right around 90. I would, uh, I would speculate. Up. That's like four a year for 20 years. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm really pleased to have been able to be a part of it. Oh, thanks. Who knew when we asked you <laughs> some of it? So, John, we talked a lot about meditation, and I'm really grateful because um, a lot of my guests share, you know, if I ask them about personal practices that keep them at peace or grounded, happy, healthy, uh, a number of them cite meditation. And uh, I'm curious, you mentioned that you do um Zen meditation or awareness meditation. Is that your personal practice today? Yes, it is. Uh -huh. And do you have any um, guidelines around frequency and duration recommendation for somebody who might be um, wanting to start? I do. I think that people who uh, haven't done it, it's fine to start with five minutes. Uh, 
uh, and you can work up to 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes. One thing I don't recommend for people is they go over half an hour or 35 minutes. If you will, the key isn't to uh, become a super meditator. The key uh, is uh, uh, to learn to be in the moment, to learn to recognize when your thoughts are taking you away from the moment. And uh, doing it four or five days a week works just fine. Some people do it every day. Some people do it three days. But I would recommend trying to do it uh, four or five days a week. But the important part is to establish a pattern uh, and decide. I use a kitchen timer for myself at home. Uh, decide how long you're going to sit and uh, before you start. And then set your timer. Uh, don't uh, don't get up before it goes off, but don't sit longer. Uh, and sometimes when a meditation has a really nice feel, you want to keep going. Uh, uh, but I recommend that you just come back to it the next day. And one of the things that uh, um, people sometimes don't recognize is we call it our meditation practice. And practice implies that you're practicing for something else. And in many ways, you really are. What you're practicing for is the rest of your day, is this, this, this calmness, this ability to see what's going on, uh, what's right in front of you uh, on the mat and cushion is something that uh, you carry with you through the day. Now, some people like to do closed-eyed meditation, but I strongly recommend that they do open-eyed meditation. And uh, the reason isn't because of what happens while you're sitting on the mat and cushion. The reason is that, uh, that while you're sitting there, you are doing a, a practice that has some relationship to the rest of your day, uh, to living your everyday life. And in everyday life, if uh, you go about uh, the world with your eyes shut, of course, <laughs> we all know the consequences of that. So you're not practicing to live in a world with your eyes shut. You're practicing to, to be able to uh, walk around and do the things that you need to do in life and, and learn to enjoy the moment. And when you do that, you are normally doing it with your eyes open. And so... Uh, you don't want to make your practice on the mat and cushion significantly different than your everyday life, other than the fact that you're doing it in the real world. There's a saying from the Dhammapada, uh, which are the sayings of the Buddha that, uh, that I like and, and it helps uh, me connect with the everyday world. And it says, uh, live in joy and love, even among those who hate. Live in joy and health, even among the afflicted. Live in joy and peace even among the troubled. And that's the nature of our life and the nature of what goes on around us is that even though uh, we can be, uh, we can uh, live in joy and uh, not feel there's anything wrong with it when we're around people who hate. We can, uh, we can enjoy the fact that we may have uh, good health at the moment, even though we're around people who don't. And uh, we can find ourselves at peace even though many around us uh, are troubled. And it sort of comes back around to uh, uh, the old saying that I, I know you've, uh, you've heard it over the years or, or seen it probably on the, as an internet meme. 
And that is that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And so our practice helps us realize that, yeah, things are going to go wrong in life, but things are also going to go well in life. And uh, the key is uh, to uh, see it for what it is and not suffer because it's happening, if you will. Uh, you recognize it, uh, and uh, but you don't sit there and create a secondary issue of, gee, I wish it would, uh, I wish it would go away. It's such a valuable lesson and invitation for people to um, begin to practice. Like this sounds very not intimidating, <laughs> you know, five minutes of practice. I'll tell you something, and I am uh, convinced that I knew before I ever stumbled into uh, the formal uh, practices in meditation that meditation, as we uh, uh, as we know, is very what I call American. It's very human. It's every day. And I used to, uh, for years, whenever things bothered me, I go into the woods and, and I would do what I would call just sitting. I didn't think about things. I didn't do anything other than be in the moment out there in the woods. And I found that my day was always better. The Things I had to deal with um, didn't go away, but my ability to deal, deal with them was much better because I could deal with them with a clear mind. And it was many years later when my wife was actually reading something about Zen Buddhism, and they referred to uh, their meditation as just sitting. Mm. And the rest of it, uh, of what she was reading, matched almost word for word the conversations that she and I had had over the years. And so she's the one who stuck the um, uh, the book on uh, Buddhism in my hands and said, here, read this. And that kind of started the road. It didn't start me meditating. It started me understanding what I was doing and that what I was doing uh, was, in fact, meditation. I think we all do it to some degree, and uh, even if it's only a, a small amount, uh, but we don't always realize what it is. Oh, that's so cool. The path was kind of there way before you realized it. I'm thinking about that story you told me before we started recording about um, teaching meditation to first year medical students back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it was when uh, when I did it, it was quite controversial. And a lot of the physicians were upset with the faculty member at the medical school who had invited me to do it. Uh, I know about 10 years later, I got this letter out of the blue from someone in that class who thanked me for it and said that they didn't feel like they would have gotten through a medical school in the first part of their practice without having learned that skill in that class that day. I never spoke with them directly. I never met them. And it was just wonderful that they were kind enough uh, to send that to me. If you go to the medical school today and they have formal programs on it, it's the world has opened up uh, to uh, helping us understand how the mind works, how the brain works, and uh, the value of simply following your breath. What a pioneer you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, uh, where do you turn for, or do you um, turn to anything for inspiration? I guess I do a lot of reading uh, on Buddhism to see if there's something that connects. One of the things that I found over time is that uh, 
I'm not trying to change who I am. What I'm trying to do is, is have a, get a better grip on our articulating, um, uh, those things that I know to be true about the world around us. And I found, and that was my connection with Buddhism is that not only were there a lot of teachings in there, but, uh, it was, uh, in Buddhism or what the Buddha taught was, Hey, don't buy this because I said so, uh, you know, try it out, see if it works for you. It's not a practice where, uh, you know, go in and just do it because I said so. I've always found that healthy and, there are lots of people uh, who teach us things that benefit us uh, our whole life. And uh, I find that this sort of feeling of gratitude and gratefulness uh, is one that, uh, that serves me well. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to sum up what Buddhists believe in, in a couple of sentences? Well, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, uh, one is that, uh, 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 can be blunt about it. All things change, learn to live with it. But I happen to like the, uh, what I said a little earlier, uh, was that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And the Buddha was struggling with, uh, how to uh, eliminate suffering. Uh, and he learned that it was by facing what's in front of you, live in the moment. And so, uh, recognize that change is going to happen. Uh, and it always will, no matter what the situation is. But it's the nature of life, and it's also the fun of life. Mm -hmm. Can't argue with that. That seems to be a universal truth. Do you have a daily practice? This podcast is about living today with more awareness and inspiration. And we've talked a lot about that, but I'm just curious about your personal practice, whether it's meditation or other things. Uh, it is, uh, my personal practice is, uh, is one of uh, meditating uh, in the morning uh, after I get up. And sometimes, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'll miss and I can uh, meditate uh, at other times. But I carry my meditation with me through the day. So uh, anything that does not require discursive thinking allows you to be uh, in the moment. And so when we're talking, we, of course, can't be in the moment uh, other than uh, the moment being our discussion. But I also, uh, there's a practice called parameter practice, which um, uh, I find helpful. And it's kind of, as uh, you're uh, aware, that uh, Buddhism has what they call the Eightfold Path about right living and right speech and those kinds of things. But uh, over the years, uh, uh, the Buddhists, uh, particularly Zen Buddhists, have uh, I've kind of refined it. Uh, uh, it covers the same thing, but it's said in what I think is a, uh, a helpful daily practice way. And uh, uh, the six pyramidas, uh, the first one is Donna Pyramid. It says, may I be generous and helpful? Sila Pyramida. May I be pure and virtuous? Sante Pyramida. May I be patient? May I be able to bear and forbear the wrongs of others? Virya Pyramida. May I be strenuous, energetic, and persevering? Jhana Paramita, may I practice meditation and attain concentration and oneness to serve all beings. Prajna Paramita, may I gain wisdom and be able to give the benefit of my wisdom to others. With our practice, uh, one of the things that happen is we learn to uh, let go of our duality. That is, to, uh, we begin to recognize those energies and connections uh, that physics tell us uh, uh, 
is what we're all made of. Uh, and uh, through those, we have connections so that we know uh, that we're connected with uh, everything else. And when we can uh, see those around us as a part of us, uh, there's um, a sort of um, uh, love uh, that comes from it, a sort of uh, recognition uh, that, uh, you yeah, know, we're all in this together. Mm. Is, is there anything that um, I haven't asked, any message that you want to be sure if you had a platform to share with the world? What that <laughs> uh, this year, while it's, uh, we have uh, uh, dealt with loss of, of good friends, uh, along with it has been uh, the reconnections with old and wonderful friends like you. Oh, that's awesome, John. That's that's really sweet. If people were interested in learning more about anything that you shared today, I don't know if you're personally comfortable being contacted or would want to share uh, a resource, uh, what would that be? Our uh, Zen Temple, we uh, meet every Wednesday on Zoom. And if, uh, uh, if they email me, I can get them on the list and uh, they're always welcome to, to join us. There's no cost to it, uh, uh, but it is a, it's a private group, so you do have to go through the process of getting on the list. And what email would you like? It would be uh, J-O-N-R-E-E-D-108 uh, at gmail.com. The, one, the 108 comes from uh, every morning when I was a seminary student, I had to do 108 prostrations as a part of my morning uh, practice. What's a prostration? Oh, a prostration is we go from a standing position. Uh, you do a bow. You go uh, down your knees and touch your forehead on the ground uh, and then back up. And it's a way of, of course, physical conditioning, but it's also a way of uh, 108 times um, uh, uh, reminding yourself uh, not to put the world, uh, put yourself above the world. Oh, well, I know that there, that 108 is an auspicious number. And I now realize that I, I've seen prostrations and didn't know what they were called. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you'll see them in writing that referred to as bowels, but um, it's a, when it's a full bow uh, to the ground, it's a prostration. Yeah, and I can't help but share that I'm going to India next week and to Buddha's birthplace. And I just feel like this conversation has been so timely and uh, it's got me even more excited. <laughs> well, that's great. And for me, uh, it has just been wonderful reconnecting uh, this way and getting a chance to have a conversation. Thank you so much, John. I know your message will resonate with the listeners, and I really appreciate you being with me. So that's a wrap. If you have suggestions for future topics or would like to work through a sticky situation of your own, shoot me an old school email at gonorthcoaching at gmail, or check out my other offerings at gonorthcoaching.com. If you're listening, chances are we know each other and I'm so grateful for your support. Please help me spread the word by sharing, liking, rating, subscribing. Any and all of the things are so appreciated. See you next time.